I'm Colleen, and this podcast is an inside look at recovery, which I define as a lifelong journey to get out of your own way and become your own best friend. Join me for mindset upgrades that move you from worry and regret to resilience and confidence. I'll share easy strategies for how to feel better without having to make major changes. Because it's not what you do, it's who you are. Self-care is the path to recovery because our needs are not negotiable. So in this module, we're going to compare and contrast the beliefs that kept us drinking for so long. You know, um, when we do our breakthrough calls, almost every single person has come to the place where they believe that they have to stop drinking, not necessarily that they want to stop drinking. They want their lives to get better but they believe that the only way their lives will get better is because they have to stop drinking. And, and it's not yet clear that they want to stop drinking. You know, so when we're motivated, there's two, there's two things that motivate us. Ultimately, we're either avoiding pain, and that's really the biggest motivator, usually, and then seeking pleasure. And ultimately, most of us come into sobriety to avoid the pain. We're just sick and tired of being sick and tired. And we we see the downhill spiral and we see that we're in a free fall and it's not getting better. And so at some point we've found the strength to ask for help. Um, and so whatever gets you in the door, gets you in the door. And that is really important. Um, but part of the sustaining the change, part of becoming a person who doesn't want to drink instead of a person who can't drink is really looking at what happened. And as much as coaching is about creating the life you want moving forward, you know, I'm at point A and I want to get to point B, part of staying at point B is looking back and putting a realistic filter on what happened at point A and all of the things that created the hell that you found yourself in where you were willing to say, okay, I guess I just can't drink. Um, so the purpose of this video is to go over some of the beliefs and again, contrast them with the reality. You know, the um, when we're drinking, most of us have the ability to see that we have negative consequences. And we're, we want to avoid those. We're trying to manage our problems. Um, we see that the easy solution, I mean, we're not stupid. We can do basic math. The easy solution would be to quit drinking. But ultimately, we procrastinate and delay and avoid doing that because of two emotions, uncertainty and fear. And these emotions keep us trapped in the downward spiral. And as you learn in other modules, emotions, our feelings, are created by our thoughts. So the uncertainty is based in thoughts that we think that aren't correct. And the fear that we feel is based in thoughts that we think that aren't correct. And so this part of recovery where we are redesigning our thought processes 
we have to go back and look at the way we were brainwashed so that we can um, stay vigilant um, to those thoughts and we don't become vulnerable to them sneaking back in. We just have to realize all of the things that we used to think and how crazy that was. Um, you know, so to escape alcohol use disorder, there is a physical addiction component, which is fairly easy to break. Um, it takes a maximum of 10 days. It's mildly uncomfortable for most of us, could easily be ignored or denied. Um, if we don't set the intention to quit for good, you know, we might just think, ah, I had a few nights where I didn't sleep well, we might not even attribute it to withdrawals. But ultimately, the physical addiction is easy to break. It is the mental addiction to the narrative that alcohol is somehow helpful and useful and it's a reward. It's all the beliefs that we have about alcohol. So, you know, the, the symptoms that make us sick and tired um, in alcohol use disorder, those symptoms are caused by the physical addiction. But the root cause of the problem is the false narrative. It's the cultural brainwashing that uh, all the beliefs we've grown up with and also kind of taken in and used to justify our own drinking and just kind of rinsed and repeat until a thought becomes a belief. And so now we are getting all of that out by creating new beliefs and new thoughts, rinsing and repeating, so that these thoughts sustain us into the future. And we not only become people that don't want to drink, but we don't even care about alcohol. We're thriving and, um, you know, having great relationships with ourselves. And really the future, our potential is unlimited. Um, it's not just sobriety is about quitting drinking, but recovering is about reclaiming your life. So healing and freedom really are achieved not the first step, of course, is breaking the physical addiction, but healing and freedom actually are achieved when you have a new narrative in your brain. And that is what we're working to do. The truth will set you free, and it does. Um, so the first thought um, that, it, that needs to be addressed or the first reality that needs to be addressed about our beliefs is that we have been brainwashed to believe that alcohol is necessary to feel relaxed, uh, rewarded, and to um, ease our social anxiety, maybe help us sleep. All of these thoughts, um, we've been brainwashed. You know, why do people drink? They'll tell you, well, I need to relax. I mean, it's just, it, it's something we don't question. So it's, it's a brainwashed belief. We've been brainwashed um, by the marketing campaigns and just by, you know, tales that go down through generations of our beliefs we've grown up with. Um, our friends say the same things. Um, we also believe, because we believe that we feel relaxed and rewarded and at ease socially, we believe that quitting will be difficult and painful and that we'll spend the rest of our lives feeling deprived. And that belief, again, we are more motivated to avoid pain than we are to seek pleasure. So that belief that somehow quitting is going to be painful um, and the rest of our lives we're going to suffer, we want to avoid that pain, which in our, in our mis, um, misinformed brains, we believe that managing an addiction would be the better alternative than um, quitting alcohol because we believe it's going to be painful. You know, um, we believe the illusion 
It's a completely false narrative, but we believe the illusion that somehow we'll experience a net loss, you know, personally, socially, uh, mentally, professionally, somehow giving up alcohol makes our lives less. It's not a net positive, it's a net loss. Um, and where do we get this belief? You know, as a society, we idealize creative addicts. You know, these are our heroes. Um, we romanticize their plights and their addictions and their struggles in movies and television and literature. And we absolutely negate the hell that they live or lived, if they're already dead, lived in, and the hell that they put their loved ones through. through. And even when they die horrible deaths, premature deaths, crash and burn in their addiction, we still toast their brilliance and their sacrifice, and we collectively decide that addiction is a component of success. And this is a huge fallacy. So let's knock this out, kind of a, a few reality, a few truths at a time. First of all, the desire to drink exists only in the mind. It's an illusion. The drinker is trapped by a combination of the physical addiction and the massive brainwashing that alcohol provides pleasure and support, and that quitting would be painful and hard. There are exponential, exponentially more examples of people who have paid the ultimate price for their addiction. They didn't die sexy, pretty, or happy, or rich. They died you know, in a puddle of their own vomit, or frozen on the streets, or sad and pathetic without their family and friends, or in the hospital with some sort of horrible cirrhosis of the liver, or cancer, or mental health disorders, or whatever. Mo the majority of, our, of the examples of people that we have, addiction brings them to failure. Um, there are a few bright and shining stars who have managed to succeed despite their addiction, but their success is short-lived. Um, eventually, there's a crash and burn. There's no happy ending to their story. Ultimately, those few minor, those few people who do succeed despite their addiction, they're the exception that proves the rule that millions and millions of people die um, sad and lonely and painful deaths due to their addiction. So this thought that, you know, somehow addiction is to be romanticized and it's worth the sacrifice, it never is. Never. Zero times. Um, there's never a happy ending to addiction. Um, as you saw as, you know, what brought you into recovery is you felt like and you realized that you were on a free fall, a progressive downward spiral. It wasn't getting better. And all the energy and effort that it took you to manage the disease ultimately was being lost and in vain and futile and ultimately um, just leading to your own demise. You're participating in your own demise. So the other, the other reality that we have to understand is, you know, our belief that somehow alcohol is kind of magical. But if you think about it, it can't possibly dull unpleasant feelings while also enhancing positive feelings. Alcohol is not magic. The truth is that alcohol deadens our brain. And when we consume it to reduce our cares and our worries and our stress and our anxiety, we must also accept the fact 
that it reduces our appreciation of genuine pleasures. It reduces our ability to enjoy life. It reduces our ability to have a positive mindset. Um, we just, you can't have one without the other. So it's very important to acknowledge that if you're reducing, if you're drinking to reduce, you know, sensations, it, that's going to happen across the board. And we have evidence and proof of that in your own memory. It's very important to capture that and remember so that you don't forget. Um, also, the greatest perception that, or the great perception that alcohol uh, somehow creates pleasure is a huge misconception because what it actually, the pleasure that we feel when we are addicted to alcohol, the pleasure that we feel in that first drink is really only the relief of the withdrawal. So, you know, a non-drinker who's never experienced um, or, or is not caught in that cycle of addiction, you know, they may feel pleasure from alcohol, but it's, and that's what we remember from our early days of drinking and we're chasing that high. But once you're addicted and withdrawal is in play, that first drink really only relieves the withdrawal. There may be some pleasure, but it's very short-lived. If, if you remember tuning in, you know, the thought of the first drink was almost as good as the first drink as you're pouring it. And then you might have 20 to 30 minutes where, you know, that relief is combined with some pleasure from the dopamines, um, you know, that's being released in your brain. But ultimately, um, as drinkers, we're trapped in the illusion that alcohol is giving us pleasure. Really, it's only giving us relief. We're trapped in a cycle of pain. You know, alcohol doesn't reduce stress. It causes it. Um, so the other thing is that, you know, we've come to believe that alcohol is our coping mechanism. And what's true is that the more we use alcohol to cope, the less we are able to access our other coping mechanisms. Um, the less we're able to cope without alcohol. The more we use alcohol to cope, the less we're able to cope, and the more alcohol we need to try to cope. It's a big shit show circle. Um, however, coping mechanisms are skills. We know this in life. Coping mechanisms are just skills that can be learned, also unlearned. And when we relearn how to cope without alcohol, we quickly realize that it's way easier to cope with any problem when we're not also battling an addiction. You know, alcohol isn't a coping mechanism. It's a ball and chain that we're carrying around and bringing into any situation that we have. It messes with our mental perceptions. It messes with the way we feel physically. It messes with our emotions. Um, and so we're having, you know, we're handicapping ourselves severely um, with alcohol and then thinking that we can't cope with life and so we need more alcohol to cope. It's not logical. Um, so the other thing we have with the fear of quitting is that we have failed to moderate. We have tried and tried and tried and tried to control our drinking and it, it didn't go well. Maybe we managed our addiction mostly well, you know, our lives didn't end in a ball of flames, but we failed to moderate in a way that was sustainable. And maybe we tried to quit and we failed in the past. And so, um, you know, probably more times than we can count, we've tried to quit or tried to moderate. And so we have formed this belief in our head that those failures are proof that quitting is hard and painful. 
And so to combat that belief that quitting is hard and painful, you need only consider that the fear of failure is illogical when you're already a slave to addiction. You've already, you are failing. You're failing to, you know, rise above the addiction. So fear of being able to quit, um, it, it's just not logical. You'll continue to feel like a failure as long as you suffer from that compulsion to drink, even though you know it's running your life and even though you know it's making you miserable. So the fear of failure to quit is very illogical when you're living in the failure of being able to control um, your drinking. Also, fear and uncertainty are negative emotions that are actually fueled by alcohol. Um, in reality, when you quit drinking, you're trading a lack of control, which creates fear and uncertainty, for total control, which creates confidence and authenticity. So it's, again, it's, it's a very illogical thought process to think that I'm scared of quitting. You need only trace back, why are you scared of quitting, to realize that the false belief beneath that is that because you believe quitting is going to be hard. Um, really, living with an addiction is hard. That's the true hard thing. Um, so, you know, the, the fear of the pain of quitting is illogical because it ignores the severe pain and suffering that you're experiencing by not quitting. So it's just a logical fallacy. All right, another belief we have is that quitting requires willpower. We discovered that willpower is not enough to help us drink less. And so we make the assumption that that means that we won't have enough willpower to quit drinking. You know, if willpower can't help us come cut back, then it for sure can't help us quit drinking. So we're, we're assuming that we're going to have to employ a lot of willpower. And again, that feeds the belief that quitting is hard. Um, but the truth is, addiction is not an affliction for the weak-willed. If you want proof that you have and use willpower, just look at how successful, sometimes, you were at managing your addiction. Um, it's, it takes so much energy and so much focus to keep yourself going, to keep everything right with the world, to keep up with your responsibility, while also managing an alcohol addiction. So, you know, even though we can, we continue to drink despite the negative consequences that are clear and obvious, but our will has kept us drinking. So don't mistake the ability to manage an addiction using willpower for actual control over the addiction. There's only one way to control the addiction, and that's to disengage and run in the other direction. That's it. Um, you don't need willpower. Quitting drinking does not require willpower. We don't need willpower. Think about it. We don't need willpower to not crash the car, to not drink the paint thinner in the garage, to not stab ourselves with the knife when we're cutting our vegetables. That doesn't require willpower. Um, alcohol is used as an antiseptic, as a detergent, as an anesthetic, and as fuel. It is literally what we put in our gas tanks. It has no health benefits whatsoever. When you recognize and realize that is true, it doesn't require willpower to not drink it. Drink, quitting drinking only requires the acknowledgement that alcohol is poison. 
So once you see that, then you know you can catch that thought that you know oh it's going to take willpower to go to this party and not drink. No, it's not. No, it's not. I mean, you're not going to get a hose and siphon off fuel out of people's cars and drink that either. When you realize what alcohol is and what it's doing to you, it doesn't take willpower to avoid it. Another problem um, in our belief system is that we've normalized drinking in our society. Drinking is very normal. In fact, people who don't drink are considered odd. Actually, they're exceptional. Uh, as the more sober people you know and the more you see in yourself, you realize sobriety is a superpower. It makes you exceptional. You rise above the masses. Um, but we're caught in this unconscious cycle of monkey see, monkey do. So, you know, we're just assuming that if other people are continuing to drink with negative consequences, then there must be something great about it. And we're taking our own intuition and our own observations completely off the table and we're just looking at what other people do and then we're just doing that and justifying um, somehow the pain and suffering that we're experiencing because while they're doing it it must not be that bad and when you think about it what kind of sheeple does that you know what kind of um, brainwashed follower would continue to self-harm even when the pain is clear and obvious just because everybody around them is doing it, you know? So when you realize that once you wake up from that brainwash, that just because everybody else is doing it doesn't mean that you should do it or they should do it, but let's just focus on ourselves here, then you are free to make your own decisions and reclaim your autonomy that, you know, that experience isn't working for you. It doesn't matter who else is drinking, you're not. You're opting out of the pain and suffering that you've experienced. So the other thing, as we kind of draw close, the other belief, as we draw close to the end, we start to panic um, at the thought of quitting. You know, like, okay, I know I need to quit. I'm going to quit, but I don't want to quit today. Like, not today. Like, I can't say, you know, I, I want one more drink. I want one more day. I want one more party. I want one more weekend or whatever. And what you need to realize the reality of that panic is, is it's just energy. And you can redirect that energy of panic at the thought of quitting to the excitement, of the promise of freedom. That sensation that you have, the story you're telling yourself is that it's because you're afraid to quit. But you can also just experience that sensation as energy and decide that, you know, ultimately it's the energy that's propelling you towards freedom. The panic is a sign of the temporary withdrawal symptoms. They're temporary. They will fade within a few days and then you'll never have to feel them again. So even if you can't transmute the panic into excitement, you can appreciate the pain and know it's going to be over soon and you know this is why you're going through it because this panic that you're not going to have enough to drink that you're not going to be able to continue drinking that panic isn't serving you and it's over so you know one of two ways to approach that um also uh is the identity factor you know drinking for me, and I'm sure for all of us, has become or did become an identity. Um, just as I talked about the monkey see, monkey do thing, 
um, you know, we tend to believe that drinking um, makes us more interesting, witty, and fun, you know, and that also speaks back to the screen icons on, in movies and television and our heroes in literature that drink, you know, we've glamorized them to be interesting, witty, and fun without really kind of looking at the total cost and also that they're not interesting, witty, and fun. They're assholes, they're abusive, and they're self-destructing. Um, you know, but yet even with that, there's something in our culture um, that somehow we find danger and self-destruction via addiction to, as something that's attractive. Um, and again, that's just the brainwashing through, you know, pop culture. It's, it's not attractive. I mean, look at it in yourself. Look at it in your spouse or people that you've known. There's nothing sexy about self-destructing. It's, it's just bullish and ridiculous and frustrating to the people that watching, to the people watching. It's, it's not sexy. So when you realize, you know, that somehow you're idolizing you know, the, the, your favorite author who, you know, I'm a writer, so authors that write. And so I need to pour that drink and muse about my own pain and, and explore, you know, this mind altering substance might give me some, some portal to some creative creativity. No, it just really made me slow and dumb um, and not give me the stamina to write and compromise the quality of my writing. I mean, every time, 100% of the time. Um, so, you know, also we have the belief that sober is safe and safe isn't sexy for sure. Safe is boring, unadventurous and predictable. And yet, so sober is safe, safe's a bad word. Yet we all seek security. We seek financial security. We seek security in our relationships, you know, through commitments and rules um, we seek food security. Nobody likes to feel like they don't have enough or that they are out of control or that the future is uncertain. That's never a good feeling. And yet we equate sobriety, knowing that you can drive your own car, knowing that you're not going to throw some unforeseen emotional tirade, knowing that you're not going, you're not making yourself sick you know, knowing that you're in control of your life and your destiny, somehow that's safe and therefore boring. It, it, it conflicts with our values because most of us hold safety and security as a very high value. And yet we, you know, flippantly disregard it as a negative side effect of abstinence from alcohol. So that's something to think about. Um, and then, you know, the other thing is that somehow alcohol is a consolation prize for all the woes of life. We, we have that belief, you know, that, well, you know, that was a shitty day. I'll just have a drink or, you know, I'm sad and my heart's broken. So I'm going to console myself with alcohol. When in fact, alcohol is the shittiest consolation prize ever because, again, it makes us sick. It makes us lose control of our emotions. It makes us lose control of our entire lives. We don't deserve that. Why are we settling for some consolation prize in lieu of authentic meeting of our own needs? What is that about? You know, if we need companionship because we feel lonely, 
Why are we settling for alcohol? Alcohol's not our friend. Alcohol's not making us feel better. It's maybe just numbing the pain, but it's not actually meeting a need. So really considering that, you know, we, we've come to believe that alcohol is some sort of prize, certainly maybe a consolation prize, but really what we're doing is simply settling for less than we deserve, less than we need, less than we want. We're just settling for it, you know? Um, also, we kind of believe that somehow alcohol is the perfect flaw, you know, the fly in the ointment, but the, the per alcohol adds depth to our character. Um, alcohol, um, somehow, yes, we drink too much, but, you know, all the benefits you get, you know, make it worth it. But the reality is, if we believe that the flaws caused by alcohol are sexy, why do we try, try, why do we spend so much time trying to hide the fact that we have a drinking problem? Why do we not just simply announce that, you know, hey, I'm an alcoholic, could you please make that a double? We don't. We, we cover our tracks and we project, you know, uh, take it or leave it attitude. Uh, we lie about how we may or may not be hungover. You know, we, we hide our addiction and we hide the problems associated with it. And yet we, in our minds, have a thought somehow that alcohol addiction is, you know, a flaw that somehow makes you more attractive. Um, so, you know, realizing that alcohol is a serious effect on our mental health, it causes anxiety, causes depression, causes neurosis. Uh, you become neurotic and going over and over things again. You can't just let something go, make a decision to move on. We become paranoid. Um, and dementia, you know, that may be longer down the road, but I know even at 46, when I was still drinking, I lost my memory and my memories were incomplete. I felt like I had a wet brain. I don't even know what that is. I've just heard the term. Um, and I, alcohol, you know, was robbing me of my ability to think and my ability to remember. So, you know, we lose, ultimately we're losing the ability to enjoy life. And we're not interesting, witty, or fun at all. We're slaves to the bottle. It debilitates our senses. It wreaks havoc on our judgment. It leaves us dull and vulnerable and insecure and often makes us sick. And the strongest reason that we feel more comfortable around other drinkers is not because they're witty and awesome and interesting. It's because they're normalizing our behavior. And we are hardwired to believe that there is safety in numbers. So, you know, we drink, drinkers flock together so that we can all keep drinking. Also, it's really helpful to have a friend who drinks more than you because it can justify your own drinking and show you that you don't have a problem, they have a problem. Um, so it's just, all of these beliefs that we have, it's very important to bring them to the surface so we can get the net and skim them off. Um, because I think, you know, underneath it all, I'm still susceptible to watching a movie and seeing some, you know, sexy leading man or woman pour a drink, especially a glass of whiskey, you know, and, and knock it down. And, you know, somehow that seems sexy, but you just simply tease that out. Why is that sexy? What are we saying? And just like I've just done, 
we go through it and we decide that no, it's not sexy. Um, so, you know, ultimately then counteracting all of the hardships that alcohol has, you know, we're avoiding the pain when we move into sobriety, but then also remembering what the benefits are. You know, when we become non-drinkers, we are free. We are no longer held hostage by the mass brainwashing, um, you know, the cultural psychosis that keeps people stuck and stagnant and numb and dumb. We're free of that. We're opting out. It's optional to uh, partake of the poison. Um, Non-drinkers also, we are now excited because you know there's nothing standing in your way of your best life. You no longer have to think, well, I can't really do that. That's at eight o'clock and that you're, you know, I would be drinking at that time. Or, you know, I've had enough to drink that now I can't drive. And so I'm a prisoner in my home if you're smart enough to not drink and drive. Um, there's nothing standing in our way anymore. We don't have to spend all of our time drinking, recovering from drinking, and planning on drinking. We don't have to spend all of our time with people who are drinkers. You know, I, I always uh, navigated towards people who were big drinkers, their safety in numbers. And so I missed a lot of really interesting people and ultimately surrounded myself with a bunch of boozy, boozy friends who, you know, we weren't solving any world's problems. Um, you know, we were just wasting the time um, engaging in our addictions together. Two two-year-olds sitting in a sandbox co-playing. It really wasn't even about the connection we had with each other. The other thing that non-drinkers get is the truth. Um, we know that drinking doesn't produce pleasure. It results in misery and fear and pain. We know that. And we're not susceptible to the bullshit anymore. Um, we also get clarity. You know, just listening to this and doing the other exercises and modules, we can look back and realize that we fucking escaped. We're free. And that clarity that we were trapped and now we're not, is really freeing and empowering and filling our gas tank for more motivation to continue to address the dysfunctions in our life. You know, that's one thing I felt that I feel when I was drinking, I kind of felt like I couldn't do anything about it. I just, accept, well, I didn't feel that way. I thought that way. I didn't think I could change. And that bled over into other contexts of my life. Whereas now I, I look forward to finding some bullshit thought in my head or some dysfunctional habit that I have that's working against me. I look forward to those challenges because I have overcome something huge. And I know if I can do that, I can do anything. And it really kind of puts wind in my sails to um, explore where I can make myself better in other, other areas. Um, and that's really cool. And the other thing non-drinkers have an experience is control. You know, our thoughts, we know that we, we can manage our thoughts. Not everything we think is true. Not everything we think defines who we are. Everything we think really should be put through a bullshit filter. And we're perfectly capable of doing that. So we have control over our thought, thoughts, which ultimately leads to control over our emotions because our thoughts create our feelings. So when we're feeling bad or frustrated or angry, we have the capacity to cope with it. You know, we can 
backtrack and see what's the thought that's there. Is there a boundary? Is there a need that needs to be met? We're capable of moving and acting in our own best interest. We're also capable of controlling our behavior. Um, if something isn't serving us, we can change that or we can add a new habit or we can strengthen, you know, whether it be through exercise or education or communication, whatever. We know that we can um, change our behavior for the better because we've done it. We are not slaves anymore to addiction or anything else. And uh, we're in control of our destiny then. Um, we're, we, we no longer need to drink, which frees us up to live the rest of our lives exactly, uh, following our interests and our pleasures and our passions. And yeah, we're free. Um, the other thing that addiction or that non-drinkers experience is authenticity and self-respect. You know, we have nothing to hide. So even when I get angry and I lose my shit, the way I feel about that later is a lot less shame. You know, I may still owe somebody an apology, but I don't feel like I'm out of control and a piece of shit. You know, I, it's okay to be human. That's how I feel about myself now um, when I make mistakes. Oh, I'm human. How can I do better next time? I, it's not proof that I'm a just out of control slave and unworthy of what I want and deserve because I'm bad and you know I'm I'm not proud of my behavior and I hide and I lie. Um, there's just nothing better than that self-respect. Um, there's nothing better than knowing that you don't have to settle for the shitty consolation prize of alcohol or the bullshit in a relationship or the you know abuse from you know, somebody in authority. We just don't have to put up with that shit anymore um, because we've stopped doing it to ourselves. So we're sure as hell not gonna let anybody else do it to us. And that's really cool. We become purposeful and powerful just because we know we've overcome that addiction. Um, not to mention the side effects of actually not being addicted. Um, it's pretty cool. Also, um, non-drinkers, as non-drinkers, we get our time. We have spent so much time, you know, having to expend energy and focus to manage our addiction, worrying about our addiction, talking about our addiction, planning to drink again, regretting drinking again. Act, and that doesn't even include all the time we spent intoxicated, you know, wasted, legless, shit-faced, you know? I mean, we say those words, but have you really thought about them? How much time have you spent wasted and shit-faced? That's, are you going to get to the end of your life and say, well, you know, that was time well spent? Probably not. Um, so we get our time back. We get our energy back. We get our focus back. And all of that effort that we have spent managing our addiction is now free to manage our other, our life, our interests, our goals, our people. It, we're, we're free to enjoy and uh, move about the cabin. Seatbelt signs are off. Um, and finally, you know, it's kind of a side note, but it's actually a really big deal is, is the money as non-drinkers that we're ahead every month. I can't tell you, you know, I went, I quit drinking in early quarantine and the, um, so there was a twofold thing. I quit drinking, but also, you know, I wasn't going out and shopping. 
um, and spending money day to day. But I mean, like the two months after I quit drinking, sit down to pay my bills, I was like, oh my God, I'm like rich. You know, it, like what, what is this? I left this money alone and now it's just reproducing in my account. It was the coolest feeling ever. And, you know, when I look back, I was spending probably a thousand dollars a month between alcohol and alcohol related purchases being Ubers, being supplements to try to make myself feel better or some other products or drunk shopping online. I mean, whatever, a thousand dollars is probably a very minimal, uh, minimal estimate, but add that up. That's 12 grand a year. I mean, that's a pretty nice vacation. That is, you know, putting that in the stock market and getting exponential returns. I mean, we can't negate the money that we're saving by not being a slave to the bottle and, you know, ourselves when we're intoxicated and we lose our control and whatever. So anyway, I hope that this, just listening to this helps reinforce that, you know, we've we've got a lot of unconscious beliefs and even though we're doing all the right things and moving in the right direction, it's really important to continue to stay vigilant against these beliefs so that we don't, they don't creep back in and kind of peck their way um, at the foundation of our new reality and our new truth. So hope this helps and uh, you can print out a copy of this also and read it. And uh, just continue to reflect on um, the reality versus those old beliefs. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard, please take the time to rate and review the show so that other people can find it. I really appreciate it. And check out the show notes for any resources I've mentioned, including links to follow me on Instagram and join my private Facebook group where I connect with my tribe every day. I love it in there and we have so much fun. And finally, if you're ready to redefine sobriety so that you can feel excited about quitting drinking, follow the link to my 10 days to spontaneous sobriety course, where I will help you eliminate, eradicate, obliterate, cancel your desire to drink because looking and feeling your best is addictive too. I'll see you soon.